The software industry transforms more and more every day. Agile methods are quickly replacing traditional ones. The question is, are you agile enough? This podcast is devoted to agile and lean software development. Time to welcome your agile coaches on This Agile Life. Hi, I'm Craig Buchak. Hi, I'm Jason Tice. Hi, I'm Amos King. And this is Lee McCauley. Whoa, Lee just got really loud. Is he louder like, than me, or that, that's that's just my attempt to be uh, to overpower people? Ah, uh, it's, oh, it's a so strategy. There's it's already a, some assertion of dominance. It's a strategy. <laughs> All right. Uh, so I think uh, we decided Jason was actually going to start uh, with the topic today. <laughs> really? Thanks, Craig. So hi, everyone. Welcome to this Agile Life. Thanks for hanging in there. I, I know um, it's interesting. I think what I want to talk about tonight is predictability and how we get there. And I'll admit that I think our podcast hasn't been very predictable lately. But but recently, and, I, and I'm thankful tonight that Lee and Craig and Amos are here because I've been – everyone, for those that don't know, I've, it's 2019. And this year I started a new role. I'm, I'm working in product development now. And um, – Actually, my fun role is I support enablement. So I go out and I help sell product, kind of a fun job. So recently I was talking to our dev team and we we got into an interesting conversation about metrics because I'll share. I'm out with customers talking about what we're building, talking about the roadmap. And from my background, I know a lot about metrics and um, I'd love to be able to, you know, talk about how we're doing, but then also look at our data and you know, the data would kind of make sure that we're tracking. And so if I'm telling a customer that, yeah, we're going to have that ready for, you know, for August, we've got some data to back that up. So we know we're, we're, we're tracking well, or, you know, or am I making commitments we can't meet? So what I would love to ask from you guys is sometimes teams, you know, they like, how does that start? Cause number one, if, how does that ask from me sound to, to you guys as, as people who are used to being on dev teams? Well, my, my first question is, why do you commit to something that's close to the edge of predictability? Like, like you, you say, okay, we can do, we can do 49 points. And you're like, okay, we'll commit to 49 points. Why didn't you commit to like 25 points? Well, so to be clear, thank, thank you for clarifying, Craig. So, so this isn't where we're talking about points. Okay. This is like, again, as I mentioned, my role is I'm not talking to customers who probably don't know a story point from from anything. So well, but you're basing it on some sort of estimates, and that's that's kind of the same idea. Yeah, but but again, if I'm out, so if I'm about selling product, Greg, people want to say, you know, we've got a roadmap, and people want to say, well, if these new features that we're building add value to our product, you know, any buyer out there is going to want to say, well, hey, that's cool. When can I have that? You know, and that as might, soon as it's released. Well, well, yeah. So and, so, and of course, so you did say you're acting as a salesperson, and of course, a salesperson will always sell more than he can deliver. Oh, it's gonna be fun. Craig's gonna, I can sense Craig is gonna let us some aggression. <laughs> no, from honestly, bad salespeople of the past. Have you ever met a salesperson that didn't promise more than he could deliver? So to be yes. clear, to be clear be, really, some people involved in this <laughs> serial might listen to this podcast, which is why this is kind of fun. Is my role is actually, I'm not a salesperson. I'm doing support what we call enablement. So I'm helping salespeople sell and understand I'm trying to help them sell the right way where I don't want to overpromise based upon, you know, making false commitments. However, in sales, if we can say we're tracking towards this milestone and we know we're going to be successful, you know, we have predictability that can help close the deal. So is this is this situation one where we're doing custom software for one customer, or is this a uh, a product that's we're going to sell to multiple customers? This is productly. So again, I'm in okay. the product business now. I'm okay, just so making just making sure. Custom. In so which case, I think my answer is different. Uh, if we were if we were working specifically for one customer, then we owe them uh, some fairly precise uh, estimates. Um, if we're talking a product, then I would uh, I would almost not want to to promise any dates before the that particular feature is pretty much done because there's road there's uh, 
there's other overheads around um, a particular product release. Uh, and if we're doing a product, maybe there's marketing involved. There's things that are outside of the dev arena that I would give additional runway to that have nothing to do with, with development. Well, also, if you're selling to multiple customers and you promise customer A a date um, that he's going to have these new features, customer B comes along and pays twice as much. Guess what happens to customer A? He's completely deprioritized. There's like there's no way you can win by making those commitments. I call that bet. Well, so and again, this is where we're selling. So again, we're selling a set roadmap. We're selling the same roadmap. You know, looking ahead to all customers. So we're we're not offering the pay, you oh, know the pay on. to play model. Come on, come on. You've got the expensive big customer. You're gonna offer him more and to prioritize his things ahead so you can get the sale. Well, so I, I, I would think Greg, that I mean, that I mean it makes sense. But Greg, I'm going to apologize for whoever you've worked with who obviously abused you, abused you, uh, created <laughs> abused you. I understand this. And, and trust me. So in this meeting where I was talking about this, I want to say, Craig, I think you were there because I heard that, that was some of the feedback that I received with my, my request, which was just to have some data oh, to so show this is, predictability. So this is a specific incident that happened. You want to tell us about it? I told you. That's what I said. I said I was talking <laughs> to our development team, and we're out looking at our roadmap, and we're out talking to customers, and we have data. And again, I'm saying, well, let's make sure our data – let's see if our data shows that we're tracking to the dates that we're telling people as to when these features will be available. And, and I'm sorry, I, I do. I mean, I don't know what rock you guys have been living under, but if you look at how Salesforce, if you look at how, again, like I was, I had the privilege to go to Cisco Live recently. I look at how Cisco is selling all these new features, what they call cognitive collaboration as part of the WebEx platform. That's a big software product. They got dates that their advertising stuff's going to be available in Q3. People who are selling enterprise software products, they have a high level roadmap. And they typically will put high-level milestone dates at really, again, at the milestone. So this is not saying these 18 stories are going to be done on this day. No, you're going to be able to have some basic high-level capability that gives slack for the development team to hit that milestone successfully. So I actually, I've probably been in this situation more on the customer side than the than the, the, the developer side. Okay, so tell me about your customer experience, Okay. Well, it's like I said, you know, they'll promise you the world and then you've paid and then salesperson and sales engineers, they're gone. Like, they don't care. I, Why I, would they? I have seen that, but they need to care. But that's like that's a business podcast. We should talk about that, too, is that if you've promised somebody something and you truly did promise it, I don't care if more money comes along later. You, you still do what you can to deliver on your original promises. I, well, but you're you're making promises that you have no control over too. Well, well you do if you're promising other people things that you know are going to impact I, the deadline. But and I'll say what my mother used to tell me: Don't so, watch so your I mouth write out there? checks that your butt can't cash. All right, so let's say you have a, a the 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 good salesperson, and and he's not you know trying to. To bullshit the customer, right? Which, which Craig obviously thinks that I am not. So I appreciate that, Craig. Well, well, you did say that you're not actually the salesperson. You're some made-up title that I've never heard before. Oh, um, gosh. <laughs> That's Craig's favorite part. Uh, what is Jason's uh, job this he's, week? He's still never explained it to me that, that like – I could explain much less a five-year-old could explain anyway. So your, your job is actually to make sure the salesperson's not writing checks. He can't cash, right? He, he's a people person. Damn it. Yes. He takes the requirements. <laughs> well, and the other thing I'll share, hopefully Craig that I've done again, and for the benefits of the developers listening to this, I have internally course corrected to say, uh, no, 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 no. We are not custom. Like, like I loved, I love the work with the sales guys that I get involved in a call and they're like, I'm like, whoa, we have a product. We are not customizing the product for this customer. That is not what we do. 
Oh, but we told them. Well, you told them something <laughs> wrong. So let's call them back and let's reset their expectations. And to be that's fair, funny. that's funny. You just basically verified all my assertions right well, there. Saying, so again, so one thing that we have established tonight on this Agile Life, whenever you listen to this, okay, and I will speak openly. Hello, there are a lot of bad salespeople out in the world, okay. Um, I will say this because, again, that's something I do for the products that I represent. I help track pipeline, okay? Like, how much of this are you going to sell? Okay, so if you're a salesperson out there, maybe you probably don't listen to Central Life. Maybe you do. It'd be awesome if you did. It'd be awesome if you happen to work with me. What is so hard about – because trust me, as much as we started talking about dev metrics, you guys know there's sales metrics too, right? Like pipeline and pipeline status, you know, yeah, the yeah, salespeople yeah. of the world would do the would do the companies they work for a little bit of good if they could be a little bit more diligent about keeping their pipeline up to date. Makes sense. <laughs> so it's like, hey, we're building a product. We think we could sell it to these customers, and then all of a sudden, you know, things change. And you know what? It's like, oh well, no one tells the dev team, but the dev team builds the product anyways. So, so back to the original question, though, that that uh, Jason asked, which was something along the lines of, gee, why can't we have some general idea of when feature X is going to be available to the to our customers? That's basically what you want to know. Right, Jason? That seems like a reasonable ask to me. Thank you. Yeah, because that, that's that's what it is. And so so feature X, Y and Z probably more likely. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Craig, we're going first in, first out, one at a time. Simple. Oh, I, I doubt that you're promising one feature to the oh, customer. Oh, my goodness, Craig. Craig, I, I hope the world has learned. Craig, you need an ally. That's all I can say. I'm so sorry about whatever has happened to you in the past. Well, I mean, you're not likely promising one feature on your roadmap, right? It's going to be multiple, multiple features. I mean, the, the thing, the word roadmap assumes more than one thing, I would assume think right yeah that's what i'm asking robot but they are sequential so part of the reason well, we but, wanted but you're oh well you're usually have a milestone that has more than one feature. item doesn't it believe it or not to keep things simple we're going one at a time oh okay well, nice. very impressive. simple okay i think okay. oh i'm starting to feel the love from craig there yeah. might be hope out of this <laughs> he already looks happier <laughs> so lee back to where you were guiding uh, <laughs> what what i would love to do is you know again i'm looking for some i guess again i'd love some advice because uh, lee i appreciated your kind of you know saying that for for just the sales motion people want to see a date and and so the, the the opportunity here is just to say you know could we have some data to know that maybe we need to change the date and let's change the date proactively because we start to see, hey, you know, we thought we were tracking to August, but then, you know what, something happened and we we hit this ginormous refactor that we didn't know about. And you know what, we proactively know in say, like, I mean, real life, it's June, it's late June. So we could say in late June, you know what, we know we're not going to hit August. So proactively, we could say it's going to be September versus the scenario that happens a lot where we get to, we get to we get to August so like oh oh yeah we're not going to make it and then the fun retro happens where yeah we knew we weren't going to make it four weeks ago but nobody told sales yeah yeah and, yeah 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 I, is- I, I I'm I'm definitely on your side on this like as soon as you know you need to let people know and and it's the question it, it sounds I, I think- scary but. Actually, you are better off telling them early than telling them late. So yes. the, the, the big thing that I see is not a fear to tell them. It's it's a, a, a an overconfidence. You're like, oh, well, yeah. that that one ticket took longer than we expected, even if it's like a week longer. Yeah, but, but now like, we know so much more, and we can make up that time. Exactly. So you you fail to communicate because you're thinking, oh, well, all these other tickets are like they're so, super small, and we built in some fudge factor. So we should be okay. Well, the other thing that that happens, um, you know, so going back to like adding some fudge factor, as you called it, is imagine if I mean, a padded estimate is is actually that's a that's a liability in the sales cycle because it actually means we could get stuff done sooner. And if we could get it done sooner, 
then it means we get we we move on to the next feature sooner, which means we're providing more value to our customers. Right? Well, 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 hang on, hang on, hang on. So, providing more value to your customers is there's not there's not a problem with that, right? Are you you're not complaining that that's a problem that they're that you're providing too much value, right? Well, no, but what I'm saying is, if I'm no, not no. selling, just just wait, 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 yes wait, or no, no yes no. or no on that. Uh, restate the question, please, so, so I can so, answer it the right way. So, so your problem isn't that we're delivering too much value. Your problem is that we could have promised more. No, my problem. Let me. My problem is I want to deliver value when it makes when it when it provo- I want to provide timely value to the customer, Craig. Well, but but providing value earlier than expected is still doing that. It is. It and, is. And it's surprises are better than disappointments. Right. So I don't see what the problem is. So I, I guess it, what it goes it, down to is suppose we have a so suppose we have what, what I'm gonna call a feature dependent deal. Feature, where a customer okay. says we will buy your product when you have this feature available for us to use. Okay, you still haven't so, – that's so, still not a problem delivering early. Okay, so, go sorry. ahead. Yeah, sorry, so understand that if I can deliver that feature sooner rather than later, I can achieve that value sooner and then potentially start building the next thing. Well, so great. if I look at my P&L for the year and how my, my total sales, I, if I can get that feature done sooner and make it available to customers sooner, I potentially increase my sales for well, the year. Hang, hang on. Wait. But you haven't. You you have made it available earlier. And yeah, that's what I'm saying. If you promise are it you six months then, from now, yeah. there, are they never going to buy it until six months from now? Or if you deliver it three months from now, can you go to them and say, hey, it was great. Things we got in there, it went smooth. Things were great. And, and we delivered this three months early. So here's the deal. You might so you might get to a scenario where the customer would love to buy it, but they can't. Maybe they had it because they budgeted for they the budgeted, next quarter. So, yeah. So hence, that's what I'm saying is if you know if if you're taking what I'm going to say, you're you're not really focusing on precise estimates, and that's a whole fun conversation right there. Ah, what the heck? You know, we can probably get it done in three months. We're not even going to really think about how to break it down. We'll just try three months. We'll probably get it done. All right. Now, my my comment is, you know what? Then fine. Put three months on the roadmap. And then we'll start selling to that. And again, that does impact budgets for for your buyers. Mm-hmm. Hence, the other strategy that I'd say is, well, what if we put a little more a little more discipline around breaking it down? And we find out, you know, whoa, yeah, we know we're going to get done in three months, but there's a chance we could maybe get it done in less time. So then we can have a conversation about, well, what do we want the milestone date to be? Because well, maybe that helps well, our buyers. There's always a better. chance. I mean, think about uh, <laughs> think about the stuff we do when when we look at Monte Carlo, right? That's that's pretty pretty data driven. Um, but sure, I've got a fifty percent chance that I can get this done in three weeks, or I've got an eighty five percent chance that I can get it done in six weeks. Um, are you going to promise the three weeks? No, I'm going to that again, Lee, you're describing I got this, a 50% chance. No, I think that's that's betting against the odds in my opinion, but again, well, no, that's, that's betting exactly with the odds actually. Well, you, thank you, Craig. <laughs> that is that is a correct statement, but but this comes back down to as a salesperson, where do you want to how much how much Okay. So, here here's the three scenarios. One is we can estimate perfectly. That's which, never going to happen. So let's throw that one out. Okay. All right. Let's throw that out for now. Maybe you you have some magic dust that you're going to give us soon, and 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 I'll, I'm I'm sorry for everyone for delaying that for us. Um, so the other option is that we're going to to overestimate how long it's going to take, or we're going to underestimate how long it's going to take. Right. One of those three is going to happen. So given that information and that the exact estimation probably isn't going to happen. What should we do? Should we overpromise or should we underpromise? Well, I think there's Those a fourth. Op- t- I think okay. there's a fourth option there, or maybe it's a, to use a, ra- a phrase Time we traveler. used as we kicked it off. Time travel strategy. is the fourth option. Because add, bro- add more, add more, more pregnant I, women to I, have I, that baby. Yeah, I got to so call Lee, a crazy man with a box. I'll be right back. So Lee brought up a Monte Carlo before. So Lee, can you tell us about a Monte Carlo? Okay, so. Um, Monte Carlo is really just a simulation mechanism where you look at the past performance of a team, uh, preferably in the order of uh, several weeks, uh, a few months at most, um, 
and you look at how many stories that got done, you assume that the stories are approximately equal in size because your teams have been breaking them down into their into their smallest possible units um, of work. And so they're fairly consistent with those sizes. And, um, and then I will run simulations based on my past performance, say a thousand of them and roll out. I've got this next feature and we think it's going to break down into 10 stories. let's say, um, then I'll run a simulation and figure out based on our past performance, we could get 10 stories done in two weeks or three weeks or whatever. Um, 85% 85% of the time. Um, and so that's, that's really what it is, is you're, you're just throwing out random versions of that that are within the, the probability curve of your past performance and then providing a, a, a probability of when, those, when this feature is going to be complete. So confidence levels, which yeah. are nice to have. Okay. So, so Craig, Craig, you're, you're, on, you're, you're on the fence. You're throwing the fireballs tonight. So any issues with what Lee said thus far? Nope, nope. No, I love okay. Monte Carlo actually okay, for that. Love Monte Carlo. So I'll go. So to anyone or specifically Lee, what can be done? What are the team practices that can be done to improve the? Let's say to increase that confidence interval of a Monte Carlo. What makes a a good Monte Carlo versus a less precise Monte Carlo? Break stories down to one and only one acceptance criteria. That's okay. So well, hey, but but if you're talking about the sales cycle, which is in, you know, quarters, you know, he was talking about, you could very easily have a customer that you're, you're talking about six months out. You're not going to have that level of granularity at all. Probably not. But, but so, you're saying, sometimes so you're saying the one thing, one thing that, that did come up talking to the team is we did talk about story size, you know, and this idea of if we could have smaller stories that does start to increase. And I see Lee shaking his head on the video here. That helps create it increases the accuracy of the Monte Carlo because without that, it's again we can go all deep on the statistics. It's it's you know whatever, but but so thoughts on that. And Amos, you well to to put it in mathematical terms, your error rate goes up because your the error rate on each individual data point is higher if you have variable size stories. Yes. Yes. And in fact, if we're talking about uh, a timeline of of weeks or maybe up to one or two months. I don't disagree with that at all. I, I think you can, after having a lot of data, which, you know, that's assuming that you've got the same team you've had for, you know, the past several months, which rarely is the case, actually. Um, and you're building things that are roughly similar to what you've been building before. Yeah, you can get very high confidence levels in, you know, uh, two to six, to maybe even eight weeks intervals. And, and Monte Beyond that... Well, it's, Go ahead. Sorry, it's, it's Sorry, the same thing with story size as as time, right? The further out you go, or the larger your stories are, the the less accurate you're probably going to be. Well, you don't you don't know. I mean, if you're talking about uh, the feature you're going to build in four months, you don't know enough about that to break down the the stories. And even if you did, by the time you got to it four months later things would have changed so much that you're going to have to reestimate everything and probably rewrite a third of your stories, if not two thirds of your stories. So keep in mind in my scenario, I said, we're only talking about our next milestone, just one thing. So I'm not just so, so just so I can see Craig, Craig wants to uh, jump through the, well, on, well no, I, I, I don't disagree at that time level, but you were talking about three to six months before. No, I'm talking about the next thing. And the, what are we going to get done? People want to know. So, Okay, but the key things that Leah said here. So Leah said again, small stories. Um, our planning horizon should be what, what's our planning horizon here, Craig? Uh, less than a quarter. Less than a quarter. So I, maybe I would, a- I would go even even a little finer than that. In that, I, the I would hope that the team would be starting on the work that they just estimated and did a feature planning meeting on where they tried to break it down roughly into stories. I would hope that they were going to be actually starting on that work within best case scenario within a week. Uh, Worst case within two or three weeks. Yeah, I agree with that. Mm -hmm. So what's the scenario then when 
okay, suppose you've, for whatever reason, you've got the stories that have been in the backlog for like six months and you finally dust them off and say, we're ready to get started. And you reestimate all if of you've them. Got, if you've got stories and that are actual story stories in your backlog for six months, uh, they're probably worthless. If you've got features that you've been holding on to and you've been uh, and you've got features in your backlog, that's a different issue. That's something you can kind of hold on to. And then once they rise to the top and the customer said, yep, that's the next thing we want to work on or the almost next thing, penultimate thing, then <laughs> uh, then uh, uh, that's when you m- would want to have like a feature planning uh, meeting depending on how how big your features turn out to be, they okay. need to be near term uh, able near to be term, worked yeah. after the feature planning. Yeah, so I guess try to figure if there's any way we can get out of this mess here. Um, so <laughs> let me ask you because again, what I'm what I'm looking well, for I, okay. is I, I want to make sure we're we're selling things that we can you know we can deliver on to our customers. So hence this idea is Lee brought up of doing this Monte Carlo. Where we have some level of, of ac, you know, some some level of confidence in it, so we've got good stories going into it. Again, understand my my desire for that is to say, you know what, we're aligned for success by not only what we think and what we feel day to day is working as a team, but we've also got some data that shows it, and we could then also see proactively if things start to slip and we need to ch- start to change expectations. And that's I think that's something I would really love to delve more into, because um, I agree with Craig that teams tend to have this this reaction of or maybe it was it was uh, Amos. I'm sorry, um, that they tend to have this this uh, reaction of, oh, this one little thing stood in our way and we didn't expect it to be there. And it racked us up by four or five days, but we can make up that time. It, depending on how far out the the window is, if it's if it's another month out, people for some reason don't think that uh, that that's going <laughs> to. They think they can they can fix it. Well, yeah. not only that, it's more likely to happen. You know, again, those things again. Yeah, <laughs> yep. it's yep. not less likely to happen again. It's more likely to happen again. Yep. Yeah. The the further things out too, I've noticed, um, and this is purely anecdotal, uh, but. Uh, is that the further something is out that you're estimating, the smaller you actually make the estimate on it in the first place. Like if you, if it's, so what do you mean by that? Do you mean that you miss stuff? If you're you not, miss it further out. Yeah. Like the, the, so the further out you're talking about something, like if you're saying, I'm, I'm going to estimate something that we're not going to start for even four weeks, there's a tendency for people to put less thought into what it's actually going to take. So and, all the pieces and, that are required. And, hmm. Yeah, and there's an assumption that there are, there's some buildup of the pieces on the way there. And so they're like, oh, well, it's probably going to be a two when it really should be like a five. Because they're, they just the further out, it seems like the smaller that estimate gets for a story, for any given story, the further out it is. Does that make sense? <laughs> Yeah, I think that's an interesting observation. I think people um, yeah, put less the, the, effort the, into breaking it down too, and then well, not only that. Yeah, there's so there's probably some of that, but there's also the fact that you just know less about it at that right. point in time, and so you're going to be less likely to to estimate it well, and and we tend to underestimate almost everything. You know, we're we're pretty optimistic about our own skills, um, but you know, you can apply data to that if you have enough history with the team that's that it's roughly the same consistency which uh hopefully jason can tell us more about hey. yeah what, what, really? what about your team well uh, what what team how well how consistent is the team because that makes a big difference too that i think that's what craig's saying if you have people new people coming in or people leaving then that changes how well those people can estimate as a group anyway uh, yeah, so you that's, you, that's also so why you do, I say shrink shrink to one acceptance criteria because you're reducing your standard deviation, and that is the yeah. best predictor that you can have of any single output is if your standard deviation is is minimal, 
then your fluctuation at the end of your prediction is a, is still a lot less too. Yeah, yeah. So let's say that we're we've gotten to the point where, like Amos has said, and and I think Lee said that that we've got um, stories that are consistently sized, uh, relatively consistently sized, and we've got say ten weeks of data or ten ten iterations, whatever those are, and and so those 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 weeks we've got you know roughly fifty fifty points, fifty stories every week. You can pretty be pretty confident that the next one, the next week, we're going to get fifty stories done, right? But if you know, if you look at that ten week history, and one week we got twenty done, and the next week we got sixty five done, I don't know what to tell you. And so I, I guess here, so here's the coach I'd like to ask you guys because you guys are talking all about it, and it's it's how do you build the uh, the desire as a dev team? to want to have that level of consistency in how you how you write stories. Because what you're describing are story writing patterns that ultimately probably are based upon the architecture of the application you're developing or whatever you're building. And and how do you how do you get people to to want to have that predictability and that consistency? I don't know that we generally do. <laughs> we want to do the best we can to provide value. We the predictability from the developer side is not very important, and and I and I understand yes, it is very important to to management because you know uh, when you're doing a, a cost value analysis, you would like to know if if the the cost is going to exceed you know or if it exceeds the value, then you probably shouldn't be doing it, right? Sure. Um, on the other hand, I've never really seen that value estimation happen, so <laughs> I don't know what the point is of estimating the cost. Honestly, yeah. Well, so, keep, in, keep in mind our scenario isn't necessarily cost; it's more about it's predictability of saying we're going to our values achieved by selling. So our predictability is is the desire to say we're going to be able to get this done in so, accordance with when we thought we would have it available based upon our sales forecast. Exactly. So he does have a value yes. because he has a sales value. So yeah. so for him, that is a, a, a real thing. Uh, but a lot of value. times in, in a lot of products, yeah, I agree with you, Craig, that a lot of times they want an estimate to make a decision based on which thing that they're going to choose next. And they're not necessarily choosing the smallest thing, but that all the, all the value is on this like moment feel and not there. There's no yeah, actual yeah. value estimate. Yeah. It's like ah, although, to pick, pick that although one. I recently <laughs> had a boss tell me that the the opportunity cost lost by not doing things actually pretty much exceeded any cost we could spend, which is which is a pretty good place to be, I have to say. Yeah. And, well, and, and just to be clear, the scenario that that you're describing, Amos and Craig, I think that's a, I'm going to call that that's a little bit la- a little bit of lazy business practice because oh yeah. I mean, in an internal, I mean, the same again. When you're selling and you're, you know, you're you're writing, you know, you're 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 selling licenses. Yes, I can make, I can go from license sale to revenue to real money to you know to to profit to net contribution real fast. You know, so I mean, I can make that real. I would say that internally, most organizations can also you could build that kind of a system for like how you measure value on say an internal application. It's just unfortunately rare that most businesses don't operate at that level of discipline that they've figured that out, which but I think is poor. I know. Well, and, and the really frustrating part is that without that information, the exercise that are putting us through to do this estimation is is worthless. Yeah. So so they're basically making us do worthless things that we can see are worthless. And that's really demoralizing and pretty just mean, really. Yeah. So, so understand, again, for the people who might you know ever listen to this who I work with, it's like our, I appreciate that my colleagues here have validated that, again, in, in the sales scenario, we can actually measure the impact of the impact of business value of saying, you know, we want to make sure we stay on track with dates because our customers – May set expectations and budgets to buy product, and we we need to be upfront with our dates and also okay. then and, and, we're gonna and those sweat. can turn into direct value. If I have right, a right, choice okay. between right. two different customers and two different amounts of money and two different features, then I can do estimate, uh, you know, price divided by estimate and figure out what the value of right, each individual right. story okay. is. Okay, so let, let's let's move on from the from the value. Uh, discussion here though i, I think we pretty well, much well, i think he's we're, he, we're, he we're fairly 
know how we're you, fairly in agreement on in this scenario. Actually, we're fairly know, all how agreeing. Do you get a de- how do you get developers oh, to, so, to, so to care? care? And one one of the things I I do is I make it a game. So I say, well, and I, I make the game to drive you toward the behavior that I want, right? So <laughs> always. So uh, when you gamify the system, you are doing what I want you to do. So I do stuff like let's, as a team, try to see, hey, can we beat how many stories we got done last week? Well, now I'm not saying how many story points. I'm saying how many stories. So what, what's, what are people going to do? They're going to drive the size Make of the smaller stories, stories down as much as they can, which reduces your standard deviation, which gives you better predictability. And you really don't care whether they are estimating because they believe in the value. You care about the outcome of their estimations. And so if you change their behavior to get to the outcome that you want, you don't necessarily care about their motivation as long as it's not negative. So I, I will add to that that uh, for me, I, I haven't really had to gamify it. It's just the fact that the more stories that people get done, there there is a visceral um, qualia to completing and moving that story across the board. And, and so that's an intrinsic value for a lot of people. Uh, and then if you can come back and uh, get some – uh, validation from the customer about what that those things were valuable when you you do the demos and they're able to show what they got done over that period of time over that iteration or week or whatever um, and they see the customer's reaction the two of those together can be really powerful yeah it's like a little adrenaline rush every time you move a story and then every time you demo it and it's also nice to like so Amos, walk the into question a meeting for you with is, a gigantic sort of like gamify. <laughs> so, so Amos, the question I have for you about gamification mm-hmm. is: what's your incentive for the 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 like the you know fine get as many stories done as you can? So then you end up making them wafer thin because you people just you know people respond to that. What do you do to incentivize that behavior, or do you, or do you not have to? I, I, you don't have to. The points are enough. You know, like you can get a lot of people to do stuff just on like I, I've seen Slack bots that allow you to give people karma. There's some website that I just saw not too long ago that allows you to give people love. And it's for like when they do something that's not actually their job. Like so they're going above and beyond. It's not something that's expected and you give them these points and it drives behavior just in points. So I, I've not found like a it's the closest thing to a carrot and stick, but I also try to push it as we as a team, not individuals. We as a team, let's see if we can do more points than we did last week. And then you just go around and high-five everybody when you do. Or if you even get close to the same, you still high-five everybody and you celebrate that. And that celebration of of a success is, is really what drives it. And I, I think that more people out there want... To, to feel that success and give that success, also share that with other people. Cause it feels good to, to tell somebody else that they, they did a great job and, and it feels even better when you share that as a team. So I've never had to incentivize it outside of let's celebrate that. Now I have done like when we got really far and I don't do it as like a, Hey, when you reach this milestone of, you did 50 story points in a week uh, or 50 stories in a week. I don't say when we reach that milestone, I'm going to take everybody out for dinner, but I, I like we'll have a retro and we'll demo 50 stories. And then I say, that was really awesome. We just did 50 stories. Let's all go out for dinner, but don't tell it's not a, an ahead of time thing. It's not a carrot and a stick. It's a reward that happens okay. retroact like after what, well, well, no, that's Amos. That's what I was hoping you were going to share is that when we talk about this kind of gamification, it's more it, it's not carrot and stick, you know, because I think that that would become non-sustainable and be seen as trite and stuff and such like that. So and and you do have to change the game, right? Just like any computer game or anything like that. After a while, the game gets boring or you're getting so many tickets done in a week that you're really not going to 
shrinking the stories any further, it's going to be pointless. And, and so you have to change what that game is. But I think you let the team come up with that during a retro. Like, what are we going to do next? But once you've shrunk your stories down and, and decreased your standard deviation that much, then I think you've solved the problem that we were originally talking about. Yeah. So, right. so I, I want to get back to the, the original question. I feel like I've been bait and switched here because, oh. J- because Jason was talking about, you know, these multi-quarter predictability. And, we, and here we are talking about, you know, shorter, you know, two to four week iteration predictability, which I, I don't disagree that we can get pretty good at. But, but I'm not convinced that we can apply many of those principles to get the, that predictability at, the, at those longer terms. And, and honestly, it's hard to get to the predictability in those one to two week iterations. Uh, that's, that's a high performing team as far as I'm concerned, if they can get that far. That's Amos is shaking his head course. yes, by the way. Oh, sorry. I forgot we were in a podcast. <laughs> Nobody can see me. My, I think my wife can hear my head rattle, though. Really? <laughs> well, the thing that I want to establish, Craig, is, again, the scenario that I brought up, and maybe maybe my, was my way I described it was, was not well, is was not a long-term roadmapping scenario. Um, I know you, you mentioned you want to talk about scaled agile, Scale Agile talks about long-term roadmaps, so maybe we pivot to that. But no, but we're, ra- we're we're running low on time on that. Well, so so one thing we'll I do want to offer. Time. So I have some notes here. So does, so I have six pieces of advice that I jotted down from the conversation here. So um, does anyone else want to uh, throw it out there before I roll down the six pieces of, of advice that I have? No, can and you, you do it in reverse tell order, about- like? Uh- like uh, on, on the Tonight Show or something? Well, it's six. I mean, we could keep going. Maybe we get to ten, but I got six as it is <laughs> now. I, I think six. we'll be okay. So anyone else? Craig, you want to get anything off your chest? Anything else? Let me have it. No, no. I was just hoping that you could help us with the, you know, the, the longer term that a lot of, you know, middle upper management is, is usually more interested in. Okay. Well, to be clear, number one, that wasn't that wasn't the specific scenario that that I described recently. Um, I think that overall, that's actually in my one. I have something in my list of advice that has to do with that. Uh, okay, which, that's good. Yeah. So let me. Well, I'll roll the advice, uh, which is a good way to kind of for those of you that have been listening to our banter here and listening to Craig um, let out all of his aggression on me. This was hopefully made for some entertainment tonight. So, um, so here we go. So number one. So here, this we'll call this practical advice to um, improve alignment between dev teams and sales, okay? So uh, as we learned here tonight, as Amos said, we want to reduce the variance and the standard deviation of our work. So think about something you could do to gamify making your work items small, okay? Guys, tell me if I messed up here, okay? So let's think about something you could do, small work items, how you could incentivize having small work items, Okay? Cool. Looking for thumbs up or something. Yes. Yes. Got quiet. Okay. All right. Yeah, we already talked about that, so that's good. And the reason why I do that, number two, number reason is then if we are going to use a Monte Carlo, like Lee suggested, and is a great way to, um, you know, use data to confirm that if you're tracking to a a date, a near-term date, you're on track. So obviously that Monte Carlo will become more accurate or more precise with smaller work items. So that's the motivation. That's number two. Smaller work items, better Monte Carlo. So so two of them are smaller work items. Well, but that's the okay, that's the reason. Okay. <laughs> wow, so you're just here to destroy my list. Come on. Jeez. No, no, I, right, I I'm three. just I'm just saying like two of these come down to smaller work items. That's that should say something about it. I think they all and, come down and, to smaller work worth, items. Okay? It's worth mentioning Yes, it's worth mentioning. Well, that's so that's three, really interesting, actually. If it's so, there's one underlying thing, huh? Yeah. That's, so number three, cool. the only roadmap items that we should be putting dates on and talking to customers about are near-term items. Hence, I am not advocating, nor do I want to talk about what is the team working on six months from now. I want to talk about what is the team working on right now, and what is the date that that feature is going to be finished 
so we can mention that to our customers to influence business. All right. I had a hard time finding my mute button, but but I did now. And woohoo! Okay. <laughs> and again, what did I just say? I said small, small roadmap. So not a roadmap for the next five years. I want a roadmap for like the next maybe three months. Okay. Small. I think okay. that's pushing it, but okay. But Smaller is better. I would say at Smaller a max, better. three months. At a max, in the next quarter. And I understand yeah, that a lot of yeah, companies yeah. make decisions based on quarters. And then a if you're quarter if is three you are, months, by the right, way. Right, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. And okay. I'm agreeing Just with you that sure. I understand, but I think that's a max. Uh, you, Since companies make decisions on quarters, I understand that you, we need to work that way if we are in the business of selling software to businesses. Okay. I agree. Number, wait till we get to the safe episode because safe, we could have a two year roadmap. It's awesome. All right. Number four. Number four. The goal of having this Monte Carlo and all these small items is to have more proactive communication. So we realize that we are slipping below the line in our, in our, our burn rate or our forecast rate. And we have a proactive conversation with everybody, the team, sales, customers. That's the whole purpose of this. And that's all to, to sustain and build trust. So people want to buy our products. Craig, yes, you're looking down. Yes. That's uh, it's all good. These are these okay, are really okay, good. Okay, okay. Like I'm making sure I'm gonna get out of this. If okay. Craig's quiet, then that's an agreement. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Number five. <laughs> number five. Reasons why you might want to work with your salespeople. I appreciate the feedback that you all were able to provide that sales is real business value. And it's probably some of the business value that's easiest to measure because I can go from sale, license sale, to revenue, to you know, gross profit. So that's re- so that's why this is important, because that's real business value. Sounds good. Okay. And last, but certainly not least, number six, something that I would ask everyone out there to think about and to give people the benefit of the doubt, not all salespeople are bad and out to get uh, you. you. You finally lost me. Okay. <laughs> oh, Wait, as, as long as they're small salespeople. That's, cause every, no, that, that must be it. Because we were after <laughs> or he, he said he, everything came down to it being smaller. So as long maybe as they're smaller they're, salespeople. Maybe it's not the person that's small. Maybe it's the sales that are small. I don't. I'm not Ooh. sure. Well, the sales are small. You might not be a salesperson for too long based upon where you work. So, but but Craig, well, I'll go back to you. Craig. I want to thank you for being yourself today because Craig, uh-huh. you did let me have it when we got this all started, which I appreciate because that was true. That was real. And, and 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 Amos, you got in there a little bit too, but Craig owned it tonight. And I and I appreciate your openness because again, there are a lot of. We like to make used car jokes. There are a lot of slimy, you know, wheeling and dealing salespeople out there. And I think some of the reason that doesn't happen is because you guys are we're describing here if teams are high functioning, high performing, and they do the kind of things we talked about tonight, you could work with your salespeople as a partner, build trust, have a good relationship, and then it that eliminates all this kind of hocus pocus stuff that Craig's all fired up about. Yeah, so yeah. My- oh, definitely. I, I, if salespeople work more with the developers, and I mean, one of my biggest gripes, even in well, agile likewise, shops. Well, likewise, developers work with the salespeople too. Because keep, keep in mind, what got this all started is I had I had a question about maybe could we change how we're doing some some of our breakdown of work so we could have more we could have better uh, we could have a higher confidence interval on our forecast. So. Yeah, I mean, one of one of like even the best agile shop I've ever worked. The biggest complaint I think I had was that we don't actually have um, very good communication between um, developers and and customers or, or salespeople that represent those customers, and and I've never really seen it done well. Um, but you know, if we could, and if we could definitely, if we could use data to help that relationship even even more, that'd be great. Well, I appreciate that because, again, that's – Craig, that's what I'm trying to do, and I'll openly admit to everyone out there I'm not no – one, no one in the world is perfect. I'm not perfect. So so I appreciate the feedback tonight from, from you all since you guys are you guys are developers, and hence I can take this to figure out how do we get 
better metrics. I, Amos, I love the gamification stuff. We, we, we figure out how to have some fun with that. And overall, then we can say that we want to we want to have accuracy and, and really honesty with this is what we're tracking. And if we start to slip, you know what? We can go into the, the forecast. We go into the we go into the backlog. Look at what happened. You know what? What did we miss? And we can be open and honest about it really to kind of hopefully grow the business. So this week's hottest picks. All right. Uh, my pick this week is um, a talk by a friend of mine, Noel Rappin. Uh, and the talk is called, I estimate this talk will be 20 minutes long, give or take 10 minutes. Um, so pretty good talk about estimation. Um, but my favorite part is he actually went over 30 minutes. So um, he actually estimated that a little poorly, um, which is funny because he was trying to, to show that we can accurately estimate things. Um, that's still a good talk, though. Um, and then uh, the other one is, um, I'll have to find a good link for this. Um, I ran across something called concolic unit testing. And concolic here means concrete plus symbolic. And and the idea here is that they, they instrument your code, um, run it during the test, and, and see which paths uh, have been exercised. And then they look at all the... Um, the places where a path can be chosen in the code and they work their way back to see how uh, values can, can, can make that selection for that different path. And so by doing all this analysis, the symbolic analysis and, and changing variables to concrete values, they're actually able to get like true hundred percent code coverage. Um, and so that's a, that's a really interesting, intriguing idea. Um, I haven't looked too far into it, but um, it seems a lot like uh, mutation testing, but probably a little bit more thorough. Uh, I don't know about the pros and cons versus uh, speed of, of execution, but they're they're both going to be pretty slow because um, there's a lot of work to do to to figure all that stuff out. It sounds awesome. Uh, that's my picks. I, uh, I, Lee, you're up next. I hate the name, though. I got to say that. I, I know. It makes I me think there's of a, a better name out baby. there. <laughs> Okay, so uh, we talked a lot about uh, the Monte Carlo uh, method of estimating, um, which kind of also goes along a little bit with the uh, no estimates uh, push. So my first uh, pick is actually an article called No Estimates Project Planning Using Monte Carlo Simulation. Specifically for those of you out there that really love the math of it, this reads more like uh, uh, like an academic paper. Um, and kind of gets into the math of it. So I thought it was kind of fun. Um, and, and you'll understand it, really understand it really well. I usually use a Excel spreadsheet, um, uh, to do mine, but if you're not into creating, uh, weird spreadsheets that can do simulations, uh, you can also go to actionable agile and that's a website that can hook up to, um, things like Jira, and they will do Monte Carlo's uh, simulations as well. So uh, uh, I think those are both uh, really good places if you're interested more in Monte Carlo. Amos? Uh, I, I Thank you. I'm going to go over the prescribed number just so I can make a jab at Tice from years ago. <laughs> can, can you believe we've been doing this seven years Oh my god! Yeah, what have we got? Six, seven shows? Yeah, <laughs> something like that. Consistency. Uh, I don't think so. Our delivery rate has been inconsistent at best. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, so uh, my picks. I, I have I have four picks tonight, um, mainly because the first three are extremely related. So uh, uh, I was I was at Ford uh, on Monday. In, in Dearborn, Michigan, meeting with Fadi Corey, who we interviewed on, I believe, episode 123 um, about personas. And Fadi's been working at Ford for a long time, and he's got a really awesome group of agile coaches and player coaches and the transformation stuff that they're doing over at Ford. I, I just think it's really cool. So I kind of wanted to give him a little bit of shout outs, and I thought the picks were, were in line for that. Um, while I was there, I, I got to speak with Tom Churchwell, who um, does the Agile and Beyond Conference. He's one of the organizers of Agile and Beyond, which is over this year. 
Um, but I, I got from him that it should be around May 19th to 21st in 2020. Um, so it, the, the conference sounds amazing, but the big thing that I love about it is they are a nonprofit and they put the money that they make back into the community. And, and one of the ways that they do that is I met another um, developer there named Bob Allen, who every second Tuesday has uh, basically a, you know, like the global global day of uh, code retreat. He does a code retreat called Code Craftsman Saturdays every second Saturday where he volunteers his time and does code dojos and deep dives in code and, and code retreats. And that's um, partially funded by Agile and Beyond. Um, so I just, I just thought that was, that was really amazing. Um, and I, I will make sure that there's, there's links to the, at least their email addresses. And if I can find um, websites for it, I will. And then my last pick is uh, a book that I just finished reading uh, called Give and Take by Adam Grant. It's a fantastic book about givers, takers, and matchers and where they they lie and how you, in, in like the uh, structure of the top and the bottom of, of corporate ladders and, and uh, how you can become more of a giver and give in the right ways if you are a giver um, that, that help you succeed. In, in life too and how to make the people on your team givers instead of takers or matchers so it's a great book everybody should read it twice Tice well so the first free advice for the night is you know what if you have agreements you should write them down because I don't know we never documented the number of picks you can have we've like spoken words so I have three it's is that an, okay, it's Amos? A, it's an unspoken social contract. <laughs> yeah. We tried to hit, I think we, it was a, a verbal agreement, which in the court of law, Mr. Law uh, degree, uh, is uh, defensible in court. This is not a law Wait, podcast. Wait, who this has a law degree? Agile po- this is an Tice, agile podcast. Tice has we, a law degree. We talk about- Jason Tice co- Esquire? Co- oh, jeez. Let's not go there. Okay. I did not know. All right, fine. I got <laughs> that three picks. That explains a lot, though, doesn't it? I got it? three. Yes, it does. Okay. I got three picks. The first one's Every time fun. somebody says Esquire, some- all I can- <laughs> Never mind. Oh, gosh. All so I can think of is Bill and Ted. Bill S. Preston Esquire. I've been doing some drawing lately. Have any of you guys been doing some drawing? No, no, I have a story about I that. Just... So I would <laughs> real quick story. Uh, so I was I was at a talk and they like who drew when they were six and everyone raises their hand and then he's like who draws today and most of the hands went down and he said what's the difference I said I never got better. <laughs> Thanks, thank you very much, Craig. Because if you would like to get better at drawing. I would encourage you to check out Lynn Casley's book, Visual Mojo, which is a, it's like a tutorial and it's how to do simple visual, uh, visual notation, graphic note taking. It's a lot of fun. Um, I've done it. I've used it at work. It's a great way to kind of liven up a meeting or if you're a facilitator, I've even done it with my kids as a fun family event. And something that I noticed recently, which I was so excited about, Lynn got invited to be the Wednesday keynote speaker at the 2019 Agile Conference in DC. So thank you to the Agile Alliance for inviting a a drawing keynote to your conference so we could talk about how drawing helps teams communicate better and learn from each other and all this great stuff. So again, the book Visual Mojo by Lynn Casley. And of course, you'll be able to check out her keynote at the Agile 2019 conference in Washington, D.C. If you don't go to the conference, guess what? They put all the videos on the on the inter- on YouTube so you can watch it after the conference. So that's number one. Number two. Based upon some of the wonderful conversations we had tonight, which involved a little bit of talking about shame and vulnerability, if you haven't watched it, I would encourage you to go watch the Brene Brown uh, Call to Courage Netflix special where Brene Brown, if you haven't heard of her, she's a researcher on shame and vulnerability. And the reason I would encourage you to watch this, and if you've listened to this podcast, uh, this is something that has a big impact on teams. Doesn't matter what your role on the team is. Doesn't matter if you're the manager or team member. Something to watch and think about it. So, again, check out – she got a great Netflix special. She's also got a few TED Talks, but I'd recommend the Netflix special. We've got a link in the show notes. Check it out. And, um, again, most of us have a false understanding or an inaccurate understanding of what vulnerability actually is. So watch watch the show. You'll learn about it. And last but not least, since we want to plug nonprofit conferences – 
If you're in the St. Louis, Missouri area, I would openly invite you to consider sharing a topic for our Agile Midwest conference that will be held in St. Louis on September 25-26. One thing we're doing different this year, we are doing two rounds of paper selection and our, our session selection for the conference. So we have already selected the first 20 sessions, but we're looking to select um, some others. So there's an opportunity if you did submit, would love for you to maybe improve your submission. We'd love to help you with that. And if you're like the guys on This Agile Life here who haven't gotten around to it yet because they wait till the last responsible moment, <laughs> maybe maybe someone from our podcast could submit a session and come share it at Agile Midwest in September 2019. So, so you, you said call for papers. You have to write a paper or is it no, just a sorry. presentation? It, it's okay. a it's a call for session. So yes, yeah, okay. so my okay, bad. Cool. So yeah, but if you go to our website, agilemidwest.org, you can um we we're using sessionize. And again, something we're doing this year because um again, something else in the world that's not perfect. The way conferences pick sessions, uh yeah, that's a busted system. So we're trying to improve how we um give people opportunities to get more feedback at Agile Midwest. So would love to um, invite, if you're listening and you hear this before July 31st, 2019, uh, please uh, check us out. If you, And if you did submit a session, uh, please reach out to us. And we'd love to give you some coaching and some guidance uh, to improve your session, to um, hopefully improve your, your chances of getting selected for the conference. So, so those are my three picks. And um, with that, Craig, how do we end this thing tonight? Those are those are really good picks. I really liked them. Uh, thank you for wa- listening, watching. All watching. right, let's start over. You you did say you did say viewers earlier today. By the way, uh, oh. thanks for listening to this Agile Life. This Agile Life is brought to you by a community of agile developers and coaches aspiring to spread the word about this groundbreaking approach to software development. Join us at thisagilelife.com forward slash community.